And welcome to Spooks. It's a Spooks special. Well, what we've decided to do here is Spooks is because we know that a lot of you are spending a great deal of time at home on your own. Douglas and I will be doing more Spooks editions and he'll be doing some and I'll be doing some and we'll be doing some. And this in this specific Spooks edition, I'm with the man we call David Teeth, voiceover artist. David, hello. <laughs> hello, Denzel. God, what a build-up. <laughs> I know. I should be doing those things for the, the movie, shouldn't I? For the, just when you thought it wasn't going to happen. Indeed. Um, <laughs> for you, In the those, world. Oh, no, you're better than I am, because you're getting closer to your microphone. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and you, you, of course, you've got a very posh recording studio, and, I, and I've only got... A barely equipped one. Huge, expansive recording suite. Oh, I see. Madam. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Anyhow, for those of you who don't know David Monteith, he is the narrator of the DCI Daily Books, amongst many others. David, you, how many how many authors have you actually narrated for? Oh, God. Uh, I... Honestly, I've no idea. I've done probably around two hundred books, two hundred wow. unabridged audiobooks. Um, of those, I suppose maybe I don't. I, I, maybe fifty, uh, sixty, or seventy are part of series. Yes, so uh -huh. I, I, I do. Um, Marion Beaton's Hamish Macbeths. I, uh, that's thirty-five books for her. Um, I've done seven for you. About to do eight. Um, well, you've, done, you've done nine for me. Have I done nine for you? Because you did. Well, you're about to do the ninth because you did the anthology. Of course, of course I did. So and not that I've forgotten it. It's just I'm rubbish at maths. Yeah, I mean it's a bit of a letdown that one's much trusted. A narrator and friend, <laughs> friend of over thirty years Indeed. has forgotten. Has forgotten know, about it's just embarrassing. I, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm, it's I'm almost okay. in tears here. It's, it's okay, David. We, we'll, we'll get over it. I mean, <laughs> since you do such a good job and you're so popular with the daily audio listeners, I'll keep you on for the moment. But any more of this, and you know who's coming. I'll give oh you a clue. no! It's the doctor. <laughs> Somebody going me more, me more. Well, because Dave Monteith has been, you know, you do, or he does, his vocal delivery does bear resemblance to yours. There's no doubt about it, isn't there? Uh, I, I, I couldn't comment. It would be unfair. I, Dave, I, David Tennant, are you sure mm, you're not him? I'm, I'm not convinced some days. I think I, you're he's, he's a bit lighter than I am. I mean, in vocal tone. Oh, he's, a bit, he's a bit more sort of up there. I thought you meant physically there for a minute. Oh, he's physically lighter than me as well. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about three, maybe four, possibly even five times heavier than he is because the man <laughs> is virtually a stick. He's not He's not very robust. But having said that, he's made a great career out of it. You know? Absolutely. You can't knock him I for mean, that. I mean, You've got to own... be honest, in a high wind, you really need to tie some string to his feet to stop him flying away. <laughs> Poor old Mr. T. And he's, and he's, you know, and, and he was so good as the doctor. And... He's often been compared in looks to our Douglas Skelton. I believe so. Yes. Um, oft I've been out with Douglas Skelton at various festivals and things, and people have turned around and said, 
Who is that? Pity me, uh, Denzel's and, with the doctor. Denzel's with the doctor again. <laughs> <laughs> now, you and I first met. I I seem to recall it was it was nineteen eighty four, was it or eighty five? Uh, I it would have been about then. I can't remember the exact year, but yeah, eighty four, eighty five. I'm maybe sure. even 86 we could probably work it out i'm sure i've got a diary I, entry somewhere met denzel my life has changed I mean, your life did change immeasurably i think it was 84 if i remember correctly um or 80 maybe it was 85 well it's a hard one isn't it? i just don't know anyway we did, we did i have known you for a very long time indeed and then when i became a writing chap <clears throat> and we the the call was put up by Audible. We want to put these wonderful books on Audible. Yep. They sent me the name Dave David Monteith. And, and you went, you f- who? I said, could we not have got somebody famous? <laughs> and then you phoned me. The first me name's said, great, but we need a different second name. <laughs> oh, hang on a second. Tenant. Yes. Uh, I can see how this is going. I know it's it's, it's Boosin, isn't it? Um, as they say in Campbelltown, Boosin means it's obvious. Uh, and then you phoned me up and you said, Denzel, there can only be one Denzel Myrick, and there can't be that. And there are there is there are actually more Denzel Myricks. So I'm not just the only one. Is that did fact? you know that? I did not know that. I'm I'm <coughs> I'm I'm surprised and intrigued. Well, I, I had a wee look in Facebook, and there was other Denzel Myricks to be had. Well, Are you shocked? I'm stunned. Almost stunned into silence, but, you know, that's very, very unlikely that I'll be completely quiet. That would be your whole career up the duff, wouldn't it? Oh, that's I, just, I know. Just blathering. Yeah, just blathering. But, I mean, you do also narrate books by our friend in, in noir, tartan, variety, Frank Muir. I do. Who will say hello, hello Frank, if you're listening. Hi there, uh, Frank. Uh, which are also wonderful books, which I recommend to you. And you've recently completed the Dorothy Dunay series. Tell us a wee bit about that, David, please. Uh, Dorothy Dunnett wrote, uh, started writing in the, I think it was mid-60s, about a man called Francis Lyman, who is the most extraordinarily magnetic character. He almost defies description, which doesn't really help what you've asked me to do, but... No, he's kind of an adventurer. The the six books that I did take place, um, and I'm sure somebody from the Dunnett Society, if they're listening to this, will correct me if I go wrong. Um, they take place from 1550 to 1555, and they cover a massive amount of history. Dorothy Dunnett was, given that this was in the 60s, so you sure. know, international travel alone wasn't anywhere near as easy as it is now. And the ability to research something was, you know, a great deal harder. Yeah, but she she is she has written these six books, which are, albeit they're set around a fictional character, but they involve so many characters, so many actual real life people, and the situations they were in, and the the political machinations and manoeuvring of the time was quite extraordinary. So she's written yeah. these six books that carry um, Francis Lyman or Lyman de Coulter, or he, he goes by various names, which can be quite technically confusing for a narrator. But they Indeed. carry him through uh, Scotland in book one, France in book two, 
I think it's Malta in book three, Turkey in book four. I mean, they're not just he he travels between these countries, and you know sometimes he's in you know he's predominantly in Turkey in book four, but I think he moves there from Malta. Uh, right. They're all interconnected, as um, you do. Russia in book five, and then far more starts off in Russia and ends up in um, in London in book yeah, I six. Think I always refer to it as Dorothy Dunne, and I noticed you're you're saying done it. Is that the correct pronunciation? I believe so. Well, you would know being the narrator. I mean. Well, not I necessarily. Read... I make mistakes as well. I mean, the, the Dunnett Society um, are very hot on sort of keeping the legacy of their favourite writer. And I relied on them heavily because there were certain things I I just didn't know. And there were certain um, slightly, the wrong way to mm. put it, I suppose, but slightly contentious issues about um, pronunciation, sure. you know, I suppose I've, I've already said it. They they look after the legacy of the books, and I very much didn't want to go wrong. I was um, more or less on my own recording them, um, which tends to mean you you can go a bit, <laughs> a bit loopy on occasions, and you right. get into your head. Ah, exactly. You get into your head that something's pronounced one way, and it you can go down the wrong path. So if there was something I wasn't sure of, I would get in touch with somebody from the society and say, look. I'm not convinced this is right. Do you think it's right? What's is there a society view on it? And almost by return, they would come back and go, you know, we generally feel the pronunciation is this, and I'm happy to go with that. In effect, the Danette Society are the keepers of the flame. A lovely way to put it. Yes, you can tell I'm a writer, can't you? Yeah, you're a wordsmith. It's it's like what I do, man. <laughs> um <laughs> You've so, always had a way with dialogue, haven't you? I, well, we better not tell the listeners too much about that uh, because <laughs> they may be offended. Um, and they've been offended before, let me tell you. Well, well, after conversations between you and Douglas? Surely well, not. It was mostly to do with the Douglas's erection. Uh, but we won't go into that. He bought a day... No, no, listeners. He bought yeah. a daybed um, not long ago and... Being being a man of letters rather than than spanners, he he found the erection of said daybed a bit more difficult than he was expecting, uh, and so the neighbour of Douglas had to come in and help him with the said erection. So that took up about six episodes, to be perfectly frank, <laughs> of the podcast. That and his his dipping of the oil tank out the back garden. Oh. Uh, he was experimenting how much fuel he used in, in a, over a two-week period. So Is Douglas, we dial on it somewhere that says <clears throat> Douglas, you've had this much, now you've got this much. No, 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 no. Douglas's oil tank is a very old. So he had a bit of stick, and he would stick his stick, dip his stick into the oil tank, and then measure it on a on a, against a ruler or a, a meter. <laughs> I can see this going downhill rapidly. Oh, it did. I mean, it really, it really, it really did. And um, so he worked out eventually that he wasn't using any any oil at all. He was actually gaining fuel on a daily basis. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> was, this is a work of genius. It was, and and he's about to receive the Nobel Prize in the subject. To be perfectly honest, it's an amazing feat. <laughs> so Douglas is living for nothing. He's you know, it's like living in the Bahamas in his house. I'm sure. In the middle of Colburn Airshire. You know, it really is. It really is. Uh, now, you began life as a young lad in various places, Perth and Glasgow, am I right? Uh, Perthshire and Glasgow. Not, not, I've never lived in Perth City. 
Um, yeah. No, I was born in Glasgow, grew up in the suburbs of Glasgow, um, through a series of um, peculiar happenings, ended up moving back into Glasgow for, for a very short time, then to yes. uh, just outside Pitlochry. Uh, my mother comes from Speyside, so most sort of Easter and you know, kind of half-term holidays, um, we would go to Speyside to see, where, uh, see my grandparents. Uh, yes, uh -huh. and then move. I mean, that, going to Speyside was sort of all the way through my childhood, and then I moved back into Glasgow full time in oh nineteen seventy seven, seventy six, seventy seven. Uh, I was but a mere child at that time. Oh, you, you'd have been, if that. You I was never a mere anything. I've known you too long. To... Well, that's true. Um, Mereness has never been part of my no, equation. It's, no, no. Uh, <laughs> but, but but you but, also but. had a, you, you not to stop your bi biographical meanderings mm. or biographical or biographical or it's like doing it and done it isn't it um, yes as always you had a rather for people listening south of Berda you might not know this, but but um, my friend Mr. Monteith here, his father was very famous to Scottish viewers of the seventies, for he starred in a show oh, called an eighties too, was well, it? Well, it didn't start until nineteen eighty. Did it? It not? just feels like the seventies. Good grief! Well, of course, any time from nineteen sixty-five through to nineteen ninety-two, really felt quite like the the seventies where we, where we were in Campbelltown. That's true. You know? yeah. It all kind of felt the same. Um, but it was the, the legend that is Take the High Road. Indeed to goodness. And his character was? He played Dougal Lachlan. Dougal Lachlan. A, a crofter. The local curmudgeon, it's fair to say. Ah, he, he was a little curmudgeonly. There, there, there's there curmudgeonly aspects. And, and funny enough, I was treated many years ago, a bit more, about 10, 10, 12 years ago, by another member of the cast, um, Alan Hunter, uh, and he he was also a, a acupuncturist, and he still I didn't is. Know that. Ah. Yes, Alan Hunter was a, a a very good acupuncturist. He was Chinese trained the whole nine yards. Very you know, good. Not, not, one, not one of these ten minute acupuncturists you get in the NHS that you know <laughs> fly by night <laughs> acupuncturists. Ah, they go in a course. Our needle a will week. travel. Yeah, this guy had to go out to China and sit cross-legged and oh, do all the kind of stuff that they do. But he was he was very good and 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 I, I commend if you're looking for acupuncture, please look out Alan Hunter and Alan if you're listening, that's seventy-five pounds sixty. Uh, so you were indeed yourself, were you not in the aforementioned Take the High Road? I was. I was a dodgy character. In well, the eighties, there were many dodgy characters in the eighties. But I played—I <clears throat> uh, can't even remember his name now. But I—they uh, decided to introduce um, a, a couple of characters. Me and Freddie Bordley uh, were people who owned um, pit bull terriers. It was during that period where there was an awful lot about um, devil dogs and dangerous dogs and d broadly dog fighting. Ah, uh, yes. So yes. our characters were dodgy dog fighters who set up illegal dog fighting matches Sweet. i don't know if you call them matches but dog fighting events meets, meets yes, uh -huh. um sort of in the the hills close to glendara 
Good grief. You should be ashamed of yourself. I know, I know. And, and like, we were caught and banged to rights. It's lucky Douglas isn't here because he'd have had your guts for garters. Well, I had huge reservations about it myself, but, you know, the, the point was to portray this bit of life. And I, I can see you as a dodgy dog fighter kind of organising <laughs> person. You and you much. still haven't lost that mean... As, no, as we, it's, it, it's a glint in the eye that just says... Bit dodgy. Yeah, dodgy, and that's I, it. I, I try and bring it to this, this part of my personality to life in your books. And you have done it so well, especially with Annie. Who? Uh, <laughs> 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 I don't know what you mean. She's not dodgy at all. She is a pillar of the community. She's, you haven't seen her arc. I have. <laughs> right. <laughs> you haven't seen <laughs> Where, um, and, and you you went from not long after that, um, um, you appeared in a, an even more famous soap opera, which will be familiar to just about everyone, certainly in the UK and even around the world. Um, Coronation Street. I did indeed. Coronation Street was a fantastic wee job. I think I was in it for three weeks. Um, it was an an absolute joy. A career highlight. I remember huddling around the TV in Campbelltown with Big Neil, who's our, our, our mutual friend, and watching <laughs> it, uh, and him him critiquing the performance, as you would expect. As, as, as indeed expect. I would expect. <laughs> yes. Gentle, <laughs> helpful comments like, what on earth is he doing that for? He did do that, right. <laughs> uh, and stuff. That was my approximation. Stuff, exactly. <laughs> uh, Please insert swear words where you feel necessary. <laughs> yeah, insert expletives as required. Uh, uh, and and it, so you were a bit of a, a star. And we were oh all, well, oh, that's yeah. very kind. Now, I mean, maybe slightly overplaying my massive fame. He said with tongue firmly in cheek. <laughs> and how so? Give us the time. I'm always here in Spooks. We're always interested in how people got to to where they are. And so, how did you get to being such a ubiquitous figure? You, you clearly you trained. Um, where did you train? Tell us about uh, that. I left Glasgow in 1987, about a year after I did uh, Coronation Street. I think, yeah, that was 86. So I left in 87. Uh, I went to drama school in London. I did it completely the wrong way around. Um, in those days, you had to have an equity card, which was incredibly difficult to get. Um, so you had to sort of have the, the union card before you could work, but you had to get a job before you could get the union card. So it was it was a really it was a sort of catch-22. It was a chicken thing. and egg situation. Absolutely. It was incredibly difficult to get them. Yeah. Um, I was fortunate. Most theatres at the time... Um, were allowed two equity cards to give to people that they really wanted to employ uh, who, di who didn't have cards, but only yeah. two per year. I was very fortunate. I, when I left school in 1982, I went and worked at the Tron in Glasgow, which is a theatre club. Famous Tron, that, yeah, I, yeah. And, you know, ended up putting on its own shows. Um, we'd hoped uh, that I would be able to get my equity card there, unfortunately for a whole lot of complicated reasons and I completely lost in the mists of time that didn't happen but uh, through contacts I made at the Tron I ended up working for Scottish Theatre Company 
uh-huh. in a play that went on at the Edinburgh Festival the following year, a play called um, And Satire of the Three Estates, which is a fantastic uh, Scottish epic um, and satire, literally. Uh, from that, I got my equity card and worked away happily. Because my father was an actor, my mother was an actress as well, um, yeah. I'd sort of grown up in and around people who were involved in theatre and television. So when I was younger, I did quite a lot of schools telly uh, in the days when there were sort of schools television programmes made. I don't there was think there are yes. quite in the, in the same way anymore, which is a bit sad. But Well, I, th- I think I think there is kind of schools TV, but it's on CBBCs or C... I mean, that is... Aye. I don't really know how it all works, to be honest. I mean, I, you know, the, the thing I was doing was sort of dramas specifically for schools. Yes. Rather than school time, you know, sort of not, um, not, not post school, but the idea was that you saw it during school. So they tended to be slightly worthy explainer dramas about, you know, why you, well, I don't know, you, you, you don't run away and play by the reservoir, that sort of thing. I, I remember one when I was at school called The Gas Gun. And it was Tell about this. It was, yeah, it was about, this would be the mid-70s sometime. And it was about this guy who invented a gun that if you fired it into a, the, the sky, it would make rain. And there were two men and there were Asian gentlemen. Um, one was an evil, there were twins, but one was mm. an evil twin and one was not such an evil twin. So the good twin, he was trying to bring rain to areas of drought, of which there uh, were in those days and still are. And the, 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 the evil twin was trying to flood places with the said gas gun. Mm. And, and I remember, so it must have been quite well made because it stuck in my mind for all this time. Uh, uh, and I think his name was Ranjit Pandre. Very good. That's a very name. Uh, very satisfying it? name to say. And I wonder if any of the rest of our Spooks listeners remember the gas gun from their school days. Of course, we always used to have to get taken up into the... This is Castle Primary School in, in Campbelltown. And we had to get taken up to the TV room, which was just beside where the headmaster's study was. Uh, uh, and there was always a TV not sitting Not an unfamiliar there. journey for you, Mr. Myrick, eh? Oh, no, indeed not. Many a day I trod those stairs with trepidation. <laughs> And a, a feeling of movement in my lower regions. I bet. <laughs> but, but besides that, um, it was also a big examined by the school nurse as well. You remember that? Remember oh. the examination? Oh, now just just step down. Yes, <coughs> cough. Oh. <laughs> oh, that was done in the TV room for some reason. I never quite understood, but it wasn't the reasons for that are lost in the mist of time. Thankfully, <laughs> anyone who was in Castlehall in the nineteen seventies with me would would remember. Uh, anyway, the TV would be sitting there on its TV table and the teacher would never quite know what to do with it, as though TV was a completely new phenomenon to, to them altogether. Uh, and the, t- the teacher would, the, the programme would be coming on at, say, half past two or whatever it was, and you'd be looking at your watch and it'd be nearing the hour and the teacher would be pressing various buttons, all but the on-off switch. <laughs> <laughs> and then, then of course, in those days, which will be unfamiliar to our younger listeners, you had to tune the TV in via a dial in the front of the, oh, the set. Absolutely. And you'd end up watching Farmhouse Kitchen for half an hour or something. You know, it, uh, those are the days, weren't they? Really, when you think back in it, That's such an uncomplicated days. Absolutely. No rolling twenty-four-hour news stations then. Well, there wasn't Campbellton. Campbellton pioneered rolling twenty-four-hour news because if something happened. 
to anybody <laughs> in Campbelltown at any time of the day or night, wherever they were in the world. We knew about it immediately. We knew about it within minutes. And it was they didn't always get it right, mind you. Uh-huh. Um, but that's but the difficulty the with rumour control. Well, the, 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 most people when they get ill in Campbelltown, I think it's still the same to the day these days. Though it's a helicopter, it used to be a thing called the air ambulance. So my dear mother would, she could tell the note of the air ambulance from any other plane, and mm-hmm. she'd cock her cock her head to one side, and then she'd say, "There's some poor soul away in the air ambulance." God bless them. And she did that for, well, most of my childhood. And uh, 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 now it's a, a yellow helicopter, which they call the, the budgie or something. The yellow, uh, you know. you know. Uh, but, but anyway, that's that the joy of living in rural Scotland. So we got to your career whereby you were, you were making children's school TV programmes. Making children's so, television. Um, children's, I, yeah. Sorry, go on. I was, take us I was more, just take us from there. Ended up moving to London to go to drama school. I went to a place called Webber Douglas, which was the Webber Douglas Academy of Dramatic Art. Uh, I know. It was very grown up. Well, it wasn't really. It sounded very grown up. It was far less grown up when you were there. Uh, I spent two years there, graduated, left, and did what most actors do. Worked a bit, um, temped a bit. Worked in offices, you know, did the the usual run of nice jobs and no jobs and really nice jobs and nothing whatsoever. Wasteland, I'll never work again. You sound like Douglas Skelton again now. (laughs) (laughs) He's like that. Anyway, carry on. A common occurrence. It is. And then, I mean, I'm, I'm jumping massively forward, but in, I think it was 2010, 2011, something like that, uh, somebody said to me, um, do you fancy doing an audiobook? And I went, hmm, okay. And he went, it's a full-length audiobook. And I went, right, mm. not entirely convinced I knew how that would differ from anything else. And Oh, sorry, I should, I should zip back. Um, oh. I, I got to 1996 and did a really nice job. I was in, um, in the mousetrap uh, for what felt like a very long time. It was probably only six months. Everyone knows about the mousetrap, though though we don't know the ending. No, you don't. And nor am I going to tell you. Please don't. I I used to swear everybody to secrecy every night. Absolutely. And now that you've seen the mousetrap, you know who the murderer is. And I ask that you keep the secret of who done it locked in your hearts forever. And I did. But I'm going to tell you now here, exclusively on Spook. No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not. But it's the same guy that kills the kills somebody in my next book. Anyway, uh, uh, <laughs> <that> was... <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, Baffled. you're in the mousetrap, which not everything. In the mousetrap, and at that point, I had moved from purely acting to mainly doing voice work, uh, yes. which I I found a great deal more satisfying. I enjoy sitting in a studio blethering away. Um, I'm perfectly relaxed in front of a microphone, even if I don't seem to sound it now, uh, mainly because I'm using my own words and having to come up with different thoughts, which is quite confusing. Uh, it's, it's much easier. Point. I much prefer having a script, um, oh, yeah. especially when it's a good one and written by you. Oh, smile, well, smile, I mean, winks at microphone. <laughs> you know, you can't beat 
but you can't beat me when it comes to this kind of thing. You, you can't overpraise me at all. No, the, no, feel feel <laughs> absolutely, you know, reassured that you can yep. sing my praises as much as you'd like on this. And, uh, as this loudly podcast. and as long as you care to do. Oh, yes, please do, because it'll <laughs> cheer people up in this terrible situation that we're in. Of course. To know how brightly my star shines. Yes. <laughs> how, how, how polished your halo is. Now, for any of us who write books, and, and most of a lot of people, more people write, read them than write them, although maybe not these days because everybody and their friend seems to be writing book, a book um, with varying success, uh, I cannot imagine having to read from my even my own books mm. flawlessly for and recording it. Now, you, what's the, the process is that you record a book, say, of my size, which is, say, 110,000 words, for example. Yep. Uh, how long would that take you? The finished version of that would be around 11 hours. Broadly speaking, it's about 10,000 words an hour. And that's um, or I, I can record 10,000 words in an hour. To record that, um, I'm, I don't think I'm too shabby at it. So it, it tends to be a, for, a, let, let's sort of talk in round figures and say it's a 10-hour book. It would normally take somewhere between 15 and let's say 18 hours maybe 20 hours to record it's as a rough estimate it's about twice the finished audio length and, and it's not just a case of you you reading the, the aforementioned book you've got to read it for instance for audible which is a great one yep. of the great platforms for audiobooks these days i'm sure everyone's aware of there are others um but you've got to read that to very exacting standards. Can you can you tell us a wee bit more about that? I well, I do. The um, they they have very particular production standards. So it's that it's more like the um, what they require of me is a a technical standard at the end. So it has to be um, there have to be certain things included. There has to be certain gaps. There has to be splits at the right chapter points. As I say, it's just certain. It's it's more technical stuff than actually um, reading um, uh -huh. requirements. Right uh, now, now, dear listener, if if you could picture the scene, you're sitting there with a book in front of you, a rather large thriller or whatever, and you imagine the scene where you've got to pick that up and read it flawlessly in ten hours, without deviation, repetition, hesitation, <laughs> etc. I, you know, to me, that's an amazing thing because now and again, I have to read at festivals and things. And even though I'm not, I'm not played by. I remember doing it in the, the beginning of my writing Odyssey and being very nervous about it. But these days, it doesn't bother me. But you still make mistakes because oh, right. that's that's the nature of the beast. But you can do this flawlessly. Oh, you're you're flattering me hugely if you think I don't make mistakes. I'm. Well, I you make... know, I've never heard that. None, none, none I've heard in my books. <laughs> or, or I would have berated you for them. <laughs> you would. You phoned me up and said, I've heard a mistake and shouted. Long before now. No, I, <clears> I, <throat> I make copious mistakes. Um, sometimes every line, sometimes... The, the, technically, when you're reading an audiobook, um, while your mouth is saying one set of words, your eye is looking maybe half a sentence or a full sentence ahead. Yeah, to get voices so what, right. Yeah, so what? And to get the flow, so you're not reading individual words; you're reading sentences or sometimes whole paragraphs that yes. may, that have a, a rise and a fall to them vocally. 
um, otherwise everything becomes very flat and a monotone. It's it's much more interesting. You you try and make it. I try and make it as much as I would like to hear it. The other other narrators have their own ideas. That um, it's uh, it's a slightly more American style, I believe. But they they, they tend to be a slightly flatter delivery, whereas yeah, UK. I, 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 I do. I know what you mean because not to stop you, that a, a good narrator can make a book an audiobook but a bad narrator can ruin a good book um and yeah. i've i've heard this i mean I, I, there was a book I was, i'm not going to name the book nor the narrator uh but i had read it years before and thoroughly enjoyed it and, and i saw it on on audible on a deal for 199 mm. or something and i thought oh I, I wouldn't mind listening to that again so i i bought it and i listened to it and it, it was an american person narrator and it was just so flat that it, you know, yeah, it, 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 the, 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 book, the book was ruined for me, whereby I've, I've read books that I've since heard narrated, and you, you add to them rather than detract mm. from. Oh, well, that, that's good. Thank you. Well, you certainly get lots of loads of praise from my, my readers, listener. Oh, they're, they're very kind. I mean, they're your listeners, so they're, they're wise and wonderful oh. and well-educated people to begin with. Yes. So it's it's yes, hardly a surprise man. that they like this. No, I mean, it, and it's not easy to get your head around because I, I had a, a narrator prior to you, believe it or not, because <gasps> my first... Oh, I'm sorry. What? Sorry. I, don't know, I know I haven't revealed this to you yet. Door slam, uh, sound of feet walking off in distance. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's on a horse? Yes, he's on a horse. <laughs> a a two-legged horse, too. Uh, what happened there was... Um, my, my first ever audiobook came out in America and it was produced by a, a company there. And they used uh, an Irish, an American guy to narrate it. Now, he's a very famous narrator and he narrate, narrates lots of books. Um, again, I won't name him. And he did a good job of it. Uh, but he wasn't a Scot. And mm. um, I think he knew that the Campbellton accent required some kind of treatment. Now, you don't do it as a Campbellton accent because people wouldn't get it uh, yep. in a way. Only I, I don't know how many times I've been brought up, brought to book by people at festivals and uh, various other public events that I attend, but by, not, 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 not at the moment, I hasten to add. But, but uh, I attend and people say, now, I was, I was at a book group once years ago and there was a various aligned group of people uh, and the host said, and now you, Mrs. McGlumper, or whatever her name was, and she just turned around to me and said, what? And I said, big man? And she says, what? And being sharp in my feet, I knew what she was meaning, which was I put the word hoot in Campbell's oh. mouths. And she says, I don't think, I, I pride myself of being quite well-travelled, you know. Mm. And I don't believe that anyone in Scotland or anywhere else says the word foot. And I says, well, you're wrong. Yeah. I says, they do, they do in Campbellton. So, you know, and I've had to, it's actually hoot they say down there without the yeah. W. I put the, I put the W in front just to make it, you know, explain further. In fact, in in the, their gal, the, their gal and Southern Hellenders were known in the, the Second World War as the hoot men. Oh, I don't know. Because, huh? Yes, they are. That's that's very true. Um, so you you do it in a, in a 
in, in an accident, but it's a more neutral accident that, that that people won't be able to pull you up for by saying things that, that are you know. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's also there's a there has to be a sort of a common sense approach to it. Indeed. Um, the the narrator voice. I have to break it down into voices. The narrator voice has to be mine because it's the one that's heard most. And yes. I I don't think I wouldn't want to, but I don't think I could vocally sustain eleven hours of somebody else's accent. I mean, the Campbellton accent is is specific anyway, and oh, I don't think I would be serving anyone terribly well if I was trying to be the narrator of the books by overlaying that accent. If it came no. and went, then people would notice it, so it has to be mine. <laughs> Let's say when I, when I got the first three books, yes. I had to make a decision. So decisions are made on, at that point, um, I was I was very fortunate. I was sent these three books, and I was oh. I was probably feeling a bit grown up. I um, thought I'll take the books on holiday, and I'll make a decision when I'm on holiday. So I was <laughs> sitting um, in a, a wee rented house in the south of France, being terribly glamorous, sitting by a pool, literally laughing out loud and annoying the hell out of my family because I would be trying to explain to them why something was hysterically funny. <laughs> and working my way through it and just I, I found as I was reading it all of the characters just jumped into place for me I could see them all completely I know I mean we've spoken about this before I have a, yes. a very specific image um for Brian Scott I I, 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 <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you mean uh, Brian Scott you what, what a wonderful human being cuddly man lovely Tell us, dear Scott, uh, how, how is Ella these days? Hello, dear God. Oh, oh, she's fine. I have to keep it her way, of course, because you know, you know what she's like. Well, She'll be after me today, something. Pushing me out oh, in a boat. Go fishing, Brian, she said. <laughs> I mean, fuck at that. <laughs> Other swear words are also available. <laughs> oh, yes, don't worry. We had Quentin Jardin on before, and... We had to put a, 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 a there will be mild swearing in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I've got to say, you do it extraordinary, extraordinarily well, and to switch from voice to voice is is uh, a ta Douglas and I were discussing this yesterday. Actually, um, it's it's a real. I, I don't know how you do it to be to be perfectly frank. It's it's the job. I've done it for a long time. I. I can honestly say that as an audiobook narrator, I am happier and more comfortable. I I love this job. It's brilliant. I get to sit in a nice warm studio. People look after me. I get oh. fantastic books to read. I get nice people to talk to. Um, it's it's barely work at all. And, and, I mean, and of course, it's tiring. It's an effort, of course, but it's, yeah. it's a great way to spend your time. And of course. Um... You know, in recent years, the audiobook phenomena has become just that. I mean, who would have thought audiobooks would would reach the zenith? When I, I don't think they're stopped yet by any means. Oh, I don't think so. Anymore. Yeah. Well, uh, given that I, I, we're recording this in the midst of the coronavirus shutdown, yes. I fully expect half year sales 
um, figures from Audible to be absolutely immense. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. I mean, the, 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 the number the, of people who are going to be bored at home thinking, what on earth can I do? I'll listen to an audiobook, you know, even if they're just you know, wondering about tidying the place up or cooking or whatever. That's the beauty of an audiobook. It doesn't, you can ease, television takes active um, participation yes. with, you have to sit and watch it and therefore you can't really do creatively do anything else. Whereas an uh -huh. audiobook, like a radio drama um, or just the radio, can play in the background, you get all aspects of what's going on, you understand it completely, it's all there for you, but you can carry on doing something else at the same time. Do, Fantastic media. Uh, do you know how this, the current um, COVID-19 crisis will affect the recording of um, books and uh, audiobooks specifically? Because, you know, are, are the studios in which audiobooks are often recorded down in, down in Glasshouse Yard? And, mm. Is it Glasshouse Yard? Um, uh, some of them are there, yeah. And or, or various audible facility studios around the country. Uh, do you know how that's going to... Are they closed open? Do we know how, how uh, this is going to work? From, from what I've heard, uh, Audible basically shut. Um, I mean, the, the Audible offices and studios shut right. on... Um, where are we? We are Wednesday today. I think they shut the middle of last week. Okay. Um, so obviously... It's not to say that things aren't still being produced. Uh, ah. I have a studio in my house, so I can record here. So that, from for my purposes, recording doesn't really stop. You know, I, if I have a book to record, I can sit and record it, and you know, it will get recorded. I then send it on. I say either, if I'm doing everything, then once it's read, I go through it, edit it, take out those very very small mistakes that I may have made. Um, <laughs> Infrequent. Um, and barely at all. Uh, yes. Polish it up. And if it's being left to me, I can upload it onto Audible. If I'm handing it over to somebody else, to a grown-up, to do the magic that they would apply to it, I uh -huh. will do a, a very rough edit, take out those very few mistakes that I might have alluded to, um, send everything off to them. <laughs> they will proof it, uh, do the um, the the proper tidying, mastering, and upload it. It then goes to a, an audible quality control um, Which is very stringent. Process. It is, yes. They, they, you know, rightly so. They, you know, it's being sold on their platform, so you have to conform to, to, to their criteria. Yeah, I, I mean, that is, the, that is the thing. And, and just to go slightly off topic here, hmm? You are producing for Houses of Steel a one a wonderfully brilliant new production company. I am indeed with which you're involved. Indeed, um, very much looking forward to it. And and so so am I. And so is Douglas Skelton. Uh, you're producing Douglas Skelton's The Blood on the Thistle, which is going to be hopefully a series of true crime podcasts, which the great man himself has written, researched, and narrated. Uh, and you will be putting the 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 icing on top of. I, that, will, I will be I will be polishing them. Like like a t don't go there. Don't, no, 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 don't do it. I can hear where you're going. I should never have used that phrase. I couldn't help it. It just came to me that no, Douglas, I, I, I'm so sorry. I really am. Poor Douglas. 
God bless him. They're dipping his fuel tank with no idea what's going on here over the and airways. The chair. And the, no, the day bed no, it's, it's, it's it a day bed. Uh -huh. He lounges in the day bed in his smoking jacket. <laughs> um, but he doesn't wear anything else but the smoking jacket. So it's a bit like, remember that Kenny Everett character? It's all done in the best possible taste. Well, Douglas There's is, a hell of an image you're conjuring up. Oh, yes. no. He'll... he'll, he'll it's a, it's like a cross between Ken Everett and Sharon Stone. That's all I'm saying. Do you know what I mean? Uh, as will most of the nation when they hear this this, <laughs> this revelation. But but uh, we're going or Douglas is going to produce a number and that they're absolutely brilliant and and he's put so much work into them and we are we're going to start a whole new podcast for his, for the Blood and the Thistle podcasts, which Mister Montiath here. As I like to call him, it's some sounds much more. Yeah. Yes, Montiath. Because you're not a Montieth. No, I'm a no. Montiath. Monty, you know, both you and I have such such exotic names. I know, and both beginning with M as well, and the same yeah. and the same first initial. G G Are we the same person? Well, it has been mm. said. Well, my dear mm. wife, I know is confused. I, I'll put a picture up <laughs> on her with with this of you and her sitting in front of a pile of empty Car Peroni bottles. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they said Corona so, bottles. <coughs> I nearly did say for yes. Can you imagine? Oh. How, how, can you imagine how they feel? Um, oh, poor soul. Sure, they changed the name, but it's like it's like and, they used and to it's be fantastic like, beer as well. I used to drink it. I mean, Douglas has recently been been rewatching the Sweeney and things, uh -huh, yeah. and and, and, so, and and we've all watched seventies TV and 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 winced at the things yeah. that are said and done, uh, and thought, how could anyone ever have done that? I mean, yes. You know, it's it's shocking, and I don't just mean take the high road. Well, <laughs> although I, I I do hasten to add that ran from nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety six, and my mother saw every episode of it. Well, and the seven hundred and fifty that my dad was in. Goodness gracious, he did, he did he did he did a long he did a long stint. He certainly did. Uh, my, the the outstanding one I remember was when the other chap got breast cancer. Oh, remember right. that one? Uh, I I don't, but I I stopped watching it after I moved to London. Um, I was. He was named after. He was named after his Croft. What was he called? Oh, oh, um, Inverdarach. 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 That's the boy. He got breast cancer, and of course, this opened up a whole new. It was really a public service thing because, yeah. um, I don't think most men. I certainly didn't realise that men could get breast cancer. Oh, indeed. And he brought that, and it, it, it did a great. And I remember listening to a radio program mm. not long after it had been aired, and and thought, you know that it was inundated by men who had <clears throat> had this problem. And it was really nice to see that a, a drama could, oh, and East Enders and Coronation yeah. Street have been doing the same ever since, haven't they? Well, I, I believe it's. I mean, being slightly serious for, for a moment, which is very unlike either of us. Um, Indeed, you know, it's it's a it, it's not uncommon. I believe something like between three and five percent of all um, breast cancers are in men. Well, well, well I, I think that 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 take the high road doing that, um, and it was it was of course followed up by Brookside. They yep. were the first soaps that actually brought real life problems or issues to mm. the fore in the drama. And now, of course, it's commonplace. You'll see the 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 wee. Notice after the program is finished, and if you have any concern about this, please phone this number. Aye. Um, you know, and 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 it's great the way we don't no longer we no longer shy away from 
from real problems in society, and it's not just sitting around the pub discussing somebody's toenails, like like um, the way many soaps started off in the dim and distant past. Yes, indeed. And now I have to ask you this: Have, mm. have you ever had? Have you ever been auditioned for the Archers? No, I haven't. Oh. I'm I'm terribly disappointed. I'd love to be in the Archers. I think everybody but, would. I think it's an actor's dream, isn't it? Uh, well, that's what I started off wanting to do. I mean, not specifically being the archers, but I always wanted to do radio drama. You wanted and, to be Martin Jarvis. <laughs> oh, Martin Jarvis is, is fantastic. Um, but is. It, when I was oh, uh, seven or eight, um, I, I remember it clear as day. He said, it sounds better coming from Hamish. I remember it clear as day. I remember just <laughs> sitting there happily writing away. My um, my mother was a as I said my mother was an actress, and yes. so we used to be given my brother and I used to be given scripts as drawing paper. You know, just you, know, you may as well use it; saves buying a jotter. Uh, so I remember clearly sitting, colouring in something I'd drawn on the back of this sheet of paper that had a big um, sort of staple in the corner, uh-huh. and I don't know why I'd never done this or. It had never occurred to me to do it, but I turned it over. And I was a precocious reader from quite a young age. And I started reading, I suppose it must have been 20 or 30 pages of the the latest radio play that mum had done. Yeah. And I was absolutely fascinated because I, you know, it's the great cliche about the pictures being better on radio. They absolutely are. And even to me yeah. at seven or eight, it was a, a radio designed for kids, a radio play designed for kids. But I I absolutely got it. I, I understood that these were different people. They were talking about different experiences. I understood where it was going, what, what it was doing, what it was trying to explain to me. And absolutely. it just, it seemed like magic. And I could listen to it on the radio. I don't think I ever heard that one specifically, but I, I remember going, Mom, I love this. This is fantastic. And I decided then I, that was what I wanted to do. And would you believe it? Bear, uh, that was uh, so 40, 40 something years later. Here I am. And the one thing I have never done in a career that's gone from um, tiny little sort of one line on hold telephone prompts. Um, it's going to sound like me blowing my own trumpet. And I, I apologize. Yes. But it, you know, it's just true. Um, oh, I've done it. television. I've done feature films i've worked for walt disney and pixar I've, I've i've been very fortunate i've done a huge amount of work over many many years boast 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 but the one thing i have never done is radio drama doesn't that strange it's it's weird and of course you were very much to the fore in series like game of thrones game vikings. of thrones vikings uh black sails um I was in Brave for Disney Pixar. Um, Goodness, Downton Abbey. Uh, I, I mean, I, there's you know, a, a lot of stuff. I, I can't remember an awful lot of it. Um, no, because it, you know, it's, it's the job. You, they wheel you in, you say stuff, and then they wheel you back out again. Um, we, we, we won't get into why you can't remember it though, because <laughs> you've seen that you've seen the light now. And in, in fact, the last well, not the last time we met, but one of the, the more recent times we met. We were ensconced in this pub in Kensington, and you were sitting with a soda water. I, well, I, I always drink soda water. 
And you, you'd arrived on your, what, what, what motorbike did you have then? And what uh, do you have at, now? At that time, I had a Honda ST1100. A little, a little. It's a nice-sized pan-European. Um, and I still have a Honda. Uh, I still have a pan-European, but it's now the ST1300 because I've gone up in the world. I've got 200 extra of your cubic centimetres. My, can you imagine this man, you know, reciting Dorothy Danette as he whizzes past <laughs> on his expensive Japanese motorcycle? I see, I see. I just, whoosh, well, I'm conscious vroom. of... I, um, vroom, vroom. That's what I'll call you now, David Vroom, Vroom. I mean, I phoned the, a hospital. I'll not tell you which hospital it is, but it was a private hospital recently. And um, I... I was on. I was put on hold. Then a voice came over the airwaves, and it said, "For specialists, press one. For payments, press two. And I thought, "Wait a minute! Hang on a second. He sounds familiar." It was Dave Monteith, voiceover expert. <laughs> <laughs> You're into everything, sir. Oh, I, into I get everything. everywhere. Well, David, we, I'm conscious we're coming to the, the end of our, our time, so I shall sadly have to draw it to a conclusion. But I thank you so much um, for appearing on this episode of Spooks. Not at all. It's an absolute pleasure. I've thoroughly enjoyed to chatting it. to you in this slightly strange circumstance. Yes, it's a bit odd, isn't it? We're all just, I think everyone's feeling the same way. Uh, um, but, but as I've said to the listeners, we will be putting out hopefully more episodes of Spooks than normal. Um, just to give you something, maybe to entertain you and cheer you up during this this kind of worrying and and troubling time, uh, and so so listen out. You can download us from various podcasting platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor FM, etc., etc. I'd like to thank David Tennant. David, thank you. Thank you very oh, much. David teeth. <laughs> it's David. been lovely to join you here, Douglas. <laughs> I just had to do that to you. I couldn't resist. David Menteith, voiceover artist who will be voicing the new DCI Daily book, Jeremiah's Bell, anytime soon, which should be with you, with well, with Godspeed, on the 4th of June. Uh, thanks, David, and we'll speak to you soon. This has been a Houses of Steel production in association with Anchor FM.